0: This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 53. With me, um, in uh, New York City, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. By the way, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in uh, Long Island. You're in Long Island. Well, you know.
1: Yeah. I know, I know. It,
0: but, you know. Close enough for television. <laughs> uh, Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. Hey. Hi, everybody. Uh, i johan Edebo uh in in sweden uh, good evening up in the north hi johan yeah no. and um verun mother may be joining us um uh, mid podcast i hope so um <clears throat> and uh i wanted to start with and i i'm kind of of two minds about this because i don't want to devote an inordinate amount of time to this but uh because i think one of the problems with social media and we all know this and we're probably repeating our uh it's very difficult to have uh serious discussions of any complexity on on twitter on on facebook i mean you simply can't do it plus the platforms are are designed to encourage negative emotions. The algorithms are, are are structured in such a way that that it it brings out the worst in people. I think, and I include myself in that. But uh, the 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 primary problem is that that it is reductive and. Um, And it's simply hard to 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 lay out arguments without getting completely lost very quickly. Anyway, but um, a couple of things happened in the last few weeks. Um, You know, I I had a kind of argument with Patrick, whatever the fuck his name is, uh, about because he was saying that that, you know, National Socialism, the Nazis, uh, at root were identical with with communists. I and mean, we may have mentioned this last time. And, and, and an article just came out in Off Guardian um, <clears throat> doing the same thing, saying there's no difference between fascism and communism. Um, and, and I criticized the article because I, I found it so shockingly, jaw-droppingly reactionary and just simply bad. Um, uh, and, and it garnered a lot of, you know, um, response and angry, outraged responses, and you know, it deteriorated from there. And I said I was going to mention it on the podcast, so I'm going to very briefly. Um, I think it should be clear that uh, communism and fascism are actually opposites. They're, they're counter ideologies. Um, the people who liberated Auschwitz are different than the people who built Auschwitz. Uh, you know, you you only have to look at the way uh, women were treated. What was instantly at the very first day in in Maoist China, in the, uh, after the Bolshevik Revolution, after the Cuban Revolution, the very first thing was instilling basic rights, equal rights for women. It it elevated uh, education immediately. That was one of the goals: was to raise literacy. This is the opposite of what happened under fascism. Seventy uh, five. 75- percent of russians actually polled last year want communism back i'm not seeing a lot of enthusiasm uh anywhere for the return of national socialism i mean i'm sure there are a few pockets but um the point is uh that that the word totalitarian when people use it is usually uh a bit of a a bit, a, a bit of a, a tip-off th- that that people are are implying this this conflation, uh, totalitarian. Whatever the actual origin was, popularized by Hannah Arendt as um, as part of her project to rehabilitate the. Um, <clears throat> the reputation of Martin Heidegger, who was a Nazi and and German academia after the war ended up with a lot of rehabilitated Nazis and, and it probably caused Adorno's um, early mm. death, actually, mm. uh, because he couldn't believe that he was being surrounded, you know, after everything that everyone had gone through in the death of Walter Benjamin, all this stuff, that he was surrounded with Nazis again. And and it must have been uh, <laughs> it must have been difficult. Um, so I, but I wanted to read something that Albert Einstein wrote, um, that famous tanky Albert Einstein, uh, who, who also, you know, had a side gig as a, as a mathematician and and scientist. Uh, uh, so he wrote a, a paper and let me check that what year he wrote this actually, um, 1949 so that's that's rather interesting 1949 um <clears throat> in favor of socialism so i'm just going to read a bit of it it's hard to to read on podcasts for too long because um it's it, it, people it's hard to listen to i find it hard to listen to but i'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here this is albert einstein 1949. the situation prevailing in an economy based on the private ownership of capital is thus characterized by two main principles first means of production capital are privately owned and the owners dispose of them as they see fit second the labor contract is free of course there is no such thing as a pure capitalist society in this sense in particular it should be noted that the workers through long and bitter political struggles have succeeded in securing a somewhat improved form of the free labor contract for certain categories of workers. But taken as a whole, the present day economy does not differ much from pure capitalism. Production is carried on for profit, not for use. There is no provision that all those able and willing to work will always be in a position to find employment. An army of unemployed almost always exists. The worker is constantly in fear of losing his job. Since unemployment and poorly paid workers do not provide a profitable market, the production of consumers' goods is restricted and great hardship is the consequence. Technological progress frequently results in more unemployment rather than in an easing of the burden of work for all. The profit motive, In conjunction with competition among capitalists is responsible for an instability in the accumulation and utilization of capital, which leads to an increasingly severe depression. Unlimited competition leads to a huge waste of labor and to that crippling of the social consciousness of individuals, which I mentioned before. This crippling of individuals, I consider the worst evil of capitalism. Our whole educational system suffers from this evil. An exaggerated competitive attitude is inculcated into the student who is trained to worship acquisitive success as a preparation for his future career. I am convinced there is only one way to eliminate these grave evils, namely through the establishment of a socialist economy accompanied by an educational system which would be oriented toward social goals. I'll stop there. This, I picked out in the middle and I, I could go on actually, um, <clears throat> but I think, I think the point is clear. Uh, mm. uh, you know, 1949, um, and, and so, you know, one of the things, there are two cliches that seem to be rife today, and I'm, you know, it's not an accident, I mean, that, that this, this lurid uh, anti-communism is surfacing again. Um, the world governments, the, you know, Western capital are, um, very nervous about social unrest. We've talked about this the lockdowns, COVID, the contraction of capital, you know, the world economic forum, build back better, the great reset, all of these things, which we talk about, um, and we have talked about for quite a while. Uh, and the two cliches are that, uh, um, that communism is the same as fascism and that you know this this world economic forum the great reset they're trying to impose world capitalism the second cliche is oh if you if you defend marx you're just one of those um religiously intoxicated marxist cultic you know, true believers that, that, that is just being defensive because you read Marx like scripture. That's the other cliche. Mm -hmm. Um, And the truth is one is defending Marx because Marx is one of the great thinkers in the history of humanity. And he was um, the most astute and, and important um philosopher of capitalism of of the the global economics of and most importantly of the class struggle i mean he was a dialectician and class struggle was the core truth of marxism in a sense something that was conspicuously absent from um from this article uh over at, at um the aforementioned paper uh how you can how you can spit on Marx, um never mention class consciousness class struggle um class at all is is just breathtaking um and you you the thing is if you tell these people if if you say anything to me say this is rubbish you're being so reactionary so i'm not i'm not i'm not reactionary i'm against capitalism but but no you're not you see because if you make that confusion if if you if you show that sort of contempt for marx and say we have to get rid of marx and not read this stuff anymore you are you are directly whatever you know whatever you uh, protest to the contrary you are in support of the status quo and, and that is that is capitalism and you know, people say, but but, you know, the communism was so horrible and was authoritarian. I think the key thing people need to remember is two things. And then then I will leave off here um, two things. One is that there was a, an immediate counterrevolution, a profound and acute hmm. and well-organized counter-revolution the, directly after the Bolshevik revolution. It happened in Mao's China as well. It happened in Cuba and never ended. I mean, how many attempts on Castro's life were there? Um, but Lenin understood immediately, you know, that, that the counter-revolution was an enormous threat. And so all socialist countries, as soon as they take power, are under immediate assault by Western capital. I mean, massive assault um, in every way you can imagine. And if communism and fascism were the same, it's curious that Western fascism, and I consider the U.S. essentially a fascist state at this point, Um, have spent an awful lot of energy and time and money um, attempting to demonize and and overthrow these socialist countries. Um, If they were all the same, why would they care, you know? Um, So I, I will leave off there except to say that, you know, Uh, If if you when Castro died, Africa was in mourning. Mm. He was a hero to Africans because Cuba and the Soviet Union fought on the side of African independence. The US and Europe uh, fought against it. They were in support of apartheid. They murdered Lumumba. They murdered other African leaders. They are probably still murdering them and calling it COVID. you know these are facts these things are not the same stop conflating them it is it is breathtakingly reactionary to do so okay i'm going to turn it over johan
2: yeah i I thought you you must have meant uh, that one of these uh these stereotypes cliches uh, they're saying that uh, the great reset amounts to
0: some kind of world socialism or world communism I think you said world capitalism. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. Anyhow. I misspoke. Yeah. They're saying it's world communism, right? Yeah, but but I mean
2: on that that goodbye Marx article on on Off Guardian. I mean, sure, I will I I will readily acknowledge that there are a lot of valid and interesting criticisms of, of Marxism. Sure, sure. And I'll I'll agree that there are these ideological aspects of, of industrial civilization that merit disagreement and that are common to to almost every political philosophy that we have today but but i mean that that text wasn't very good and i think it's it's interesting and and significant that it begins with this categorical statement that is so reminiscent of the very worst aspects of of foucault or derrida that basically amounts to this naive relativism Uh, he, he said something to the effect that there there actually exist no rationally discernible structures in the world, that these are just some kind of imaginary heuristic tools for for humans to attain certain results and so on. But I mean, if you consider that statement as a proposition, is it true? Well, I mean, if it's true, then you have just affirmed the existence of these abstract discernible structures in the world, without which there can be no true statements whatsoever. So this is just some kind of sophomoric relativism that, that anybody can poke a hole in, and I think, I think this is a kind of sign of the times. Adam Curtis said something very much akin to this in his last documentary, I don't remember what it was called, that, that there's no way to even know what's real anymore and that it's pointless to even try. And I mean, this is false, obviously, in the literal sense, but there is some truth to this observation. And Maybe we should uh, go on with that discussion. This um, that Corey called the war against reason,
0: which yeah, the war on reason, and I think that's that is something we we need to talk about because I think it's very true, Corey.
3: Yeah, well, Johan, <laughs> Johan <had> said said <laughs> um, the terrorizing reason or something. Then I just, you know, I just built on what Johan said—the Warren reason. Um, I made some notes on this as well. Basically, um, one thing that that. I actually had open in a tab somewhere under um, the Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts of 1841, which I see is very, very important and why you can't just, you know, say, you know, what was that called goodbye Marx. So he writes, the final consequence is thus the, um, ab- what is this? The final consequence is that's the ab- abolition of the distinction between capitalists and landowners so that there remain altogether only two classes of the population the working class and the class of the capitalists.
0: Hmm. Um,
3: this hus- huckstering with the landed property, the transformation of landed property into a commodity constitutes the final overthrow of the old and the final establishment of the money uh, aristocracy, um, aristocracy. I can't say that, er, er, <laughs> aristocracy, aristocracy. <laughs> aristocracy. And, so, and so, you know, that's basically right now we, we see this happening, we have the biggest land grab in the history of, of humans on Earth, right, happening right now, that's underway. So I think that's you know really really mm-hmm. important passage. The working class in the class of capitalists. That's it. And if you see um, earlier today, someone shared um, who is the prime minister of New, is it New Zealand. Um, you know, the reporter said, oh, I'm sure you're not going to see it this way. But, you know, some people say or what looks like you're doing, you're creating two classes of people, you know, even with the vaccines. And she said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Right. Like yeah. right there, right out in the open. Anyway, so then I wanted just to, <laughs> to jump across over to the indigenous perspective and on mm-hmm. uh, Russell Means, um, really well known um, Indian in, front, in, in, in America in 1980 he had a speech, it was called um, For America to Live, Europe, Europe Must Die. And in this pers- perspective, he, he actually stated, it offers to take wealth from the capitalists. This is what he sees as Marx. It offers t- to take wealth from the capitalists and pass it around, but in order to do so, Marxism must maintain the industrial system. Theory is an abstract. Our knowledge is real. Marxism is as is, is alien to my culture as capitalism and Christianity are. But then we have to keep in mind, right, that Marx's writings were written almost 200 years ago and so industrial and, and the industrial system during that time is not the same as industrialization that we see today right much of what is produced is very bad for us processed food chemicals pharma, um, fertilizers all of it right so like it's a completely different time and then <sighs> this passage You know, when you think about this, this coming little passage I'm going to read, this was written when the average age was around 40 years old, right, for for everyone at that time, because it was um, a very, very difficult, very difficult life. So he writes "Um, To develop in greater spiritual freedom, a people must break their bondage to their bodily needs. They must Mm -hmm. cease to be the slaves of the body. They must, above all, have time at their disposal for spiritual creative activity and spiritual Mm -hmm. enjoyment. The developments in the labor, organism gain this time indeed with new motive forces and improved machinery a single worker in the cotton mills now performs the work formerly requiring 100 or even 250 to 350 workers and so again like there's that's because people were were dying of physical exhaustion So, I think it's important to recognize there's lots of common ground to be built upon, you know, and people are imperfect and systems are imperfect, but there's um, places to find common ground and unity Mm -hmm. and in this, the um, um, abolishing private property. So, and Marx, you know, is all about that. So, common ownership of the land by default, reestablishes the intimate relationship between humanity and the earth. And, and Marx actually wrote, for the earth ceases to be an object of hustling, one of his favorite words, and free and through free labor and free enjoyment, become once more the true personal property of all humanity. Now today, I mean, I would extend that. Again, that's mm-hmm. quite human-centric. Um, European ideology is human-centric, indigenous is one with the earth, right? And I would extend that pers- um, to the earth, you know, be shared by all humanity and all life. Um, but anyway, I'm just saying there's a lot of common ground there. Hmm. Does that make any sense at all?
0: Um, I, yeah, no, it does. And, and But I the, I mean, a whole bunch of things um, come to mind here. One is <clears throat> a favorite quote of mine from Big Bill Hayward. There's two kinds of people in the world, those who work and those who don't. <laughs> um uh the earth is more proletarianized than it has ever been and i think one of the problems when i read these kind of um these sort of anti-communist anti-marxist screeds these kind of they're always a little vaguely new age-ish and um and and faux uh spiritual um uh i think you know and this and this reminds me of hollywood too i want to say something about that as well about media that i've been watching um but it's it's uh, i these people i always wonder how long these people would last without a cell phone you know? um because th- they're always going on about yes i mean you want to be with the earth and i just believe in local community groups and like a communitarian kind of you know and it's 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 just kind of gibberish and it's i mean you're into a specific world, history exists. There are conditions into which you are born. You don't get start over from scratch and say, "I, you know, I want it this way, and I don't like all. The, I don't believe in like people being mean. I'm I'm against that." Um, you don't get to do that because, in fact, you know, the the world is largely capitalist, which is why the world is largely impoverished. And uh, because as Michael Peretti always said, you know, capitalism creates inequality, it creates poverty. And we know that because as I just said, most of the world is capitalist, most of the world is desperately poor. Um, but this, this reminds me of something else too. I just wanna add quickly because the, you know, the media apparatuses in, in Hollywood has always been um, virulently anti-socialist and so forth um and anti-marxist and they and they make fun of it and and so forth but um there is a there is a growing uh really disturbingly creepy anti-humanist um tendency in uh, uh in in hollywood in in, in tv series um, I, you know, I mean, I just happened to catch a little bit because I watched the opening, the pilots or first episode of a lot of shows because I have a professional interest in it and I know people and so on. And because it's, you know, it's a, a cultural curiosity and, um, uh, the, the, um, what is it called law and order special victims, Unit, whatever the fuck it is, um, with Marissa Haggerty. And they deal with with rape week after week after week after week after week after week. The same story week after week after week after week after week. But what has changed is an increasing declaration that essentially desire is bad, sex is bad. And it's interesting that her character in the show has a son but he's like adopted he's the offspring of a violent criminal she didn't have to have sex to to procure him it's a bit like we were talking about Walt Disney the other day there is a fear of of you know actual coitus and and all the wet moist mm. unpleasantness of you know natural childbirth and stuff this and 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 i think it's very timely given Covid restrictions, masking, social distancing—that that there, that there is now a kind of psychological distancing mm-hmm. from one's own body, from one's own bodily processes—and you see it also with the pathologizing of, of normal behaviors. Everything is a condition now. Nervous leg syndrome. To you know, there was one the other day we were talking about, but I forget what it was. Um, and and these things are. Um, you know, of course, the 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 propaganda people on Madison Avenue work for Big Farm a lot of them, and they create these, you know these conditions. But it's also part of this massive global NGO extreme wealth, high net worth guys, um this sensibility that wants people um, alienated, isolated uh, and and um, without the normal human emotions that, that make us human. And this this leads us back to this war on reason again, too, because part of what makes us human is the ability to think. And I and largely people are losing the ability to actually mm. think mm. Um, Johan. Yeah, I'll be happy to dig into
2: that war on reason issue. But I just got to think came to thinking about Long Island, where you said you were at, Ryuki. Uh, wasn't that like the site of one of these early early purchases of land from the the indigenous tribes or something, where they had this this coalition participatory democracy government governing stuff, and 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 you had this infamous purchase for like twenty bucks of some some large piece of land, or am I? Do you know anything about this? <laughs>
1: well land theft um is a, a big issue i think we were still dealing with that uh the uh the there's indigenous indigenous population in the area who talks about it and uh uh, we uh, constantly come, uh, come across uh, barrier grounds um, that are claimed by uh, 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 their area uh, of interest by the uh, indigenous communities and uh, um, and we, when we talk about education, uh, the schools have uh, indigenous children and it, when you talk to uh, the uh, faculties, uh, they would describe uh, the situation mm-hmm. and, uh, 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 you know, you might hear some uh, questionable expressions uh, mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. So. Uh, the the painful uh, history is uh, definitely there. Yeah, mm. it, just like any other places
0: uh, in the states, I guess. Um, yeah, um, uh, but Johan, yeah, war war on reason. Um, sure. Okay. So
2: I mean, you mentioned how how social media is this uh, destructive, uh, destructive environment, destructive like a situation of communication or whatever, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, I mean, it has been pointed out by by critics of mass culture for, I think, more than 100 years that the, the mode of communication of mass culture and the way that it disseminates information is not conducive to rational thought you know, that, that it in many ways undermines rational thought, especially by, by saturating our environment with, with the disjointed random noise that crowds out the, the actual connections between things. This information saturation, making it uh, difficult to discern things such as causal relationships or theoretical connections and all that. Kind of a a veil upon reality that that disturbs that that, uh, prevents us seeing it Uh, there's much much more to this of course but neil postman i think i mentioned him before american teacher and a culture critic wrote this um, criticism of of television in uh, i think 1984 uh, amusing ourselves to death, he presented a related argument, according to which this substitution of the, the visual medium of communication for the older text based forms has kind of undermined society's capacity for critical thought and I think there is very much truth in this. And, and there's a similar situation in relation to digital and social media. But if you then add to this situation, this actual terror propaganda that places a population in a state of heightened anxiety where you're constantly bombarded with with disjointed and more or less incoherent messages, these non-existent emergencies in Canada that force us to keep 12-year-olds from playing soccer. I mean, I don't think you can eliminate human beings' capacity for rational thought, but you clearly can suppress it. And the immediate political impact of the situation is that you erode the citizens' capacity to both effectively organize as well as to even like coherently discern the situation. I mean, as, as the Marxists would say, no class consciousness, you have no functional resistance. And this ties back as, in, into why, why it's so important to, to create forms of deep cultural resistance that anchor human beings in, in actual reality and like unlock our ability to creatively engage with and understand with the reality that surrounds
0: us. I think, yeah, I think, I think that, this is really, go ahead, Hiro, you can, I well, wanted to say I, hi, Varun, Varun Mather hi, has joined us. So oh, Great,
1: great. Um, it, well, I I kind of think that it's, uh, it's, it's a lot to do with the uh, fundamental uh, quality of the uh, capitalist society uh, in which uh, its framework is uh, protected by the uh, moneyed social institutions. Uh, they basically own uh, the narratives. They, they have the power to define the problems and solutions. And, um, uh, I mean, you know, we've seen prominent institutions colluding to promote problems in order to uh, impose solutions, which are designed to recalibrate mm-hmm the social hierarchy and mode of productions in order to perpetuate the reign of oligarchs. And in this process, a lot of things happens. And one of the things is that uh, whatever the institution is, well, let's take a medical institution, the facts, knowledge, history, and all that are gonna be twisted in order to fit The needs of the capitalist structure. So this is a place where the uh, dumbing down structurally Mm -hmm. happens, Um, and the education, you know, the same thing happens, and the media, the same thing happens, and political institution. We have a lot of that going on. The narratives are already set. Um, For instance, um, uh, socialist countries are repressive. Uh, Socialist countries, their people are poor. Uh, Socialist countries are are not successful. Um, All those things are coming out of uh, capitalist structure. They are active indoctrination, propaganda, uh, campaigns to impose those things onto the people so when we discuss about social formation uh, ideologies we are talking um, with those things so you know it's it's for those uh, people who are going along with the official narratives capitalist narratives they would fully use those things and they don't really, have to say much. They just have to say that communism is whatever, and you don't even have to back it up. But if we are talking about um, the facts, uh, like John was saying that the the bulk of the uh, uh, population in Russia wants communism back, or the fact that the Chinese people um, is pretty happy about their government. As opposed to the people in the West who are not very happy about it, and um, you know, you can raise so many facts that are contradicting um, to the, um, uh, the the factual accounts, and we don't even have to get into the um, uh, what Marx actually teaches us. Those things are, I mean, I mean, how how could you question, you know, how things right. work? It's so valid, you know.
0: Um, I want to just say that I'm going to include an extensive reading list of links when we post this podcast about uh, Marxism, you know, class, history, um, things that people simply need to read if they're going to if they're going to start talking about Marx, because almost nobody has read him, I find, and um, And it's important when you start talking about Marx too, and and Hiroyuki was sort of implying this to the, like reification, which I remember, I think was Paul Picconi defined as, as when you treat your friends like appliances and your appliances like friends. Um, It it is a form of, you know, reification, alienation. These things are connected, the whole idea of money is a very difficult chapter <clears throat> in, in capital, but it's an important one. Um, and and I wrote a little bit, um, <clears throat> a couple of po- not podcasts and blog posts ago about <clears throat> the magical nature of value. You know, you hold a coin in your hand. Um, it's just a piece of metal. The value it has is invisible. It's magical. It's elsewhere. And, and this is a key to, to understanding how all of this stuff works. Um, But, but I will, I will post those, those those links and um, Corey.
3: Yeah. Just sort of building out what Hiroyuki said, Um, you know, again, like it's sort of amazing how we continue to do the capitalist um, work for them right like promoting their agendas promoting um their you know the architecture they seek to impose on us all of this um over and over again we 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 keep you know basically de facto lobby groups for these very things but um about building the narrative and the framing you know again i i think of how with the energy and with climate change um the environment the ecological crises um, that we face. We we don't talk about, about what we're actually using that energy for right and I think that's like a huge framing thing um it's never spoken about most of our energy is wasted 40 percent right off the top and then the bulk of the rest is wasted on creating shit that we don't need right and so I think Marx um wasn't wasn't writing about about stuff I mean think of all the stuff in a dollar store one dollar store of the whole planet all the crap in there you know and people use it once it goes into the garbage like he was writing about how to you know how about class struggle and how basic needs um are to be met for everyone um you know i don't think he was thinking in the future that we would use industrialization to create all this shit you know and all this junk and i mean if, if we can have a global economy on junk and on garbage and crap that no one needs that pollutes us, destroys our environment, destroys our natural bodies. Surely we can build a, um, economies on knowledge and you know arts and music and food and you know things that nurture us and, and give right. back and give back to the earth. So uh, anyway,
0: uh, sort of rambling there, but no, no, but I mean, but that's really important, and and the, you know because one the third cliche that one hears out there is oh oh Marx is outdated, you know <clears throat> he doesn't understand um you know modern economics and supply chains and, and you know blockchains and I mean, he doesn't understand <clears throat> that if you if you're a Marxist you're you know um, by extension an old fuddy duddy somehow. Um, and and it's so insulting to uh liberation movements in the third world who invariably are marxist because they understand the truth of it um they are suddenly they suddenly are given a window to class consciousness to recognizing themselves as a class with power um, in opposition to I mean, class isn't a thing it's a tension a social relationship um And they suddenly will recognize that. That's I mean, why do revolutions even happen? You know, they don't fall out of the sky. Nobody made people, um, you know, storm the Winter Palace or you know. There's a reason Um, because people have reach a point that life is intolerable. They have nothing else to lose. So that technology that everybody's always demonizing and and I critic. You know, and the, and the harshest critic of instrumental thinking and mechanistic thinking and junk science and, and the, the narrowing of, of experience that comes with that. But th- those technologies, if we're talking about Russia and China, led two massive nations, billions of people out of serfdom. You know, they, they were no longer living on dirt floors in sod huts, Um, they may, they provided literacy and healthcare for millions, tens and tens of millions of people. This is no small thing that was necessary. You know, these kind of, you know, it's the white privilege, petty bourgeoisie that always goes, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm against technology. I, I don't like it. And I, I just want to live in a great, yeah, but you have the luxury to even say that is a, is a sign of your privilege, you know. Um, Lots of people historically, and even today, don't have that privilege. Um, Johan.
2: Yeah, I I think, Corey, that that your remark that we are actively reproducing all of this is important to to focus on also uh, how we ideologically recreate these relations of production, how we actively reproduce propaganda in our kinds of communications. You know, I mean, the, the brand marketing mode of communication is basically what kind of saturates places like instagram uh, and i have a, a question to varun because we spoke earlier of how cultural resistance is more or less recuperated at an early stage and that they often like take on the form of, of propaganda for for the the power structure and here in sweden we've just had one of the the most popular gangster rappers murdered and this is a huge domestic genre among the among the kids, and and this uh, this is big news due to his popularity. But if you look at this music, if if you really read the lyrics, they're really saturated by by these dog eat dog capitalist values, as well as being heavily promoted by the digital and, and algorithmic marketing, especially on YouTube. Uh, I was wondering if you have any any further reflections on on this kind of process, how how uh, I mean lively forms of of um, emerging culture are, are being recuperated as we speak, so to say.
4: I think largely in India, it's always been um, the anti-state narrative, the anti-corruption narrative, and a lot of the new hip-hop, especially, and the rap music, and also some of the metal bands that I've heard and I've been mm-hmm. involved with. They've all always had an anti-state narrative rather than
2: Mm.
4: anything else. And so because I mean, when you're looking at the 70s, 60s and 70s in India, that's you, you, it's also clearly very reflected in mainstream cinema and the music that was coming out of mainstream cinema is that there was always the underdog that was going to destroy or overcome the corrupt politician, essentially. So that's, that narrative has carried over into, into the current music scene of the atrocity, of the corruption of the establishment. And it has also taken the color of, like we spoke, I think, the last time. Um, it has taken a lot of the color of Black America rap from very obscure people that... Even the mainstream is not listening to, which is really strange because with that, the only thing that comes along is, well, quote unquote, the money and the hose and the cocaine and whatever. <laughs> the lifestyle <laughs> that comes along <laughs> with it, right? <laughs> the conflation, like <clears throat> the narrative not is not necessarily uh, cross-seating in that sense. Mm. So it's not really talking about... A change in the power structure is just inherently violent and abusive. Mm. But it's not, it's, there's also a lot of this hyper conversation about taking your power back. But when you really ask people what that means, mm. they don't know what to say. Because um, what were Yuki and Corey said before, and then you added, and I'm sorry, I joined a little late, but I think, What's, what's gone missing in all these narratives is how people are actually part of the system, mm. which is something that everybody has to really recognize. Yes. And right. that is, I think that is at the, at the core of trying to untangle this and resolve it in some way, because
2: mm-hmm.
4: the othering of the system is in fact what keeps it alive. Mm.
1: Right. I
4: think in that, because we are always we are always continuously consuming it, reproducing it, but in our minds, we are thinking that we are speaking against it. And that's what helps it along in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. uh, I'll
4: just add one thing quickly because that's a really good point that Corey was saying was that um, we are buying all, I mean, they're manufacturing all this useless shit, but we are also buying it as a public globally, right? And the only place that we can actually counter The establishment which is built on overproduction and capitalizing on human need is to rely on each other rather than the corporation for what we really need Hmm.
0: essentially um yeah i i and um i i think my internet is is a little unstable tonight for some bizarre reason but um it's so I apologize to listeners if if it's, things go in and out a bit here. Um, yeah, Johan, are you? No, it just uh, stuck in my hand. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I I want to uh, uh, you know I had not meant to spend this extraordinary amount of time on on you know the the Marxist stuff specifically, but but it is important and it's but it's part of this war on reason because there are other aspects of the war on reason obviously uh culturally the the there is there has been uh, just i mean in all cultural fields all mediums of artistic expression um are degraded Today, from what they were 40 years ago, 60 years ago, I mean, it's simply a fact. It's not to say there are not great artists out there. There are many, many terrific artists, but uh, but but there is, there are fewer and fewer, um, less and less of a discerning public, mm-hmm. less and less of a discerning audience for serious work, uh, and and. You know, there, there is people always say, "Well, it's all you know." It's just subjective. You know, I know what I like, um, and and that's the you know that's the voice of the Philistine. Um, there there are traditions and and history, and we are connected. You know, with the English language back to to Milton and Shakespeare, and after that, Melville, and on into twentieth century, we are connected to, to you know Kafka's vision crops up again and again and again and again um and and i mentioned last time and i wrote my blog post uh, t.j clark's piece on velasquez in the london review books i mean there are but he's very old now you know john berger the art critic is dead um i don't know who's replacing these people and i don't know where the audience is for this stuff and some of this is true politically as well you you know if social media is any kind of accurate barometer and i kind of pray that it's not uh we, there is there is less of an and less of an audience for really serious philosophical discussion for for real critical analysis and hiroyuki last time mentioned um uh, how to read donald duck the ariel dorfman book um and the, i had i had quoted from it in a blog post there's a terrific very short Absolutely cogent and an extraordinarily clear Marxist critique of Walt Disney cartoons and mm. their cultural influence. Um, it's it's f- f- almost fifty years old now, but forty years old. Mm. But it's absolute brilliant Marxist analysis. If you read John Berger, you see the same thing. You can't you can't say that. Say, oh, I love John Berger, but I think Marx is you know outdated or point. You can't. That's just like you know psychological non-sequitur of some sort it's meaningless um so i think but i think the war on reason is has taken a toll culturally and i think it's part of this anti-humanness this new puritanism that any kind of desire because the 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 law and order show i saw was some man who was 25 years older than this girl i mean oh shocking shocking a professor had sex with his student his university student shocking um you know and there's a whole vocabulary that goes with it now you know he was grooming her all year (laughs) he was he was chatting her up he wanted to fuck her why did that's now bad you know it's like these are adults they're consenting adults they're like what but but this is the new Puritanism, and, and it's extraordinarily um, acute right now. It's very powerful right now, and I think increasing. Um, Corey, yeah?
3: Um, jumping from that over to um, the war on reason, basically intertwined with the new war on children. I just want to jump over mm. into that. So we having in Canada, and I believe in the U.S., the government um, in servitude to pharmaceutical industry have ordered millions of doses um, in Canada. They're actually Pfizer doses. I'm not sure how many billions of dollars they, they've committed to that on um, tax, taxpayer dollars, obviously. Um, we're going to jab the next batch of children now, five to 11 years old. Um, this will happen soon. This is, as everyone knows or should know, these um, experimental um, gene therapies are not approved. They're not approved. This is all being done through emergency use authorization. So, children, um, parents will be encouraged or coerced to um, jab these five to 11 year olds. And it's absolutely atrocious because it's being done again through emergency use authorization in Canada. Um, age zero to 19 years old, there's been 17 deaths with COVID since this began in March of 2020. Again, flu is gone. These are all cases with, um, you know, s- leukemia, things like this, very, very severe things, comorbidities in children that were very, very ill. Uh, I'm not sure if there's one case of a healthy child dying from COVID actually in the world. Um, so anyway, there is no emergency. Um, for children to, to have this actually for no one, but especially for children. And so it's actually crime, what's happening to use experimental drugs on children that do not need them. the evidence, the so-called evidence, if you believe those stats of 17 shows that there's no emergency for children. and so it's disgusting. And you know the, the US, Canada, France, and NATO states have no, no issue whatsoever dropping bombs on children in the Middle East in a heartbeat. They have no issue with it. So why do people think that these same countries care about your kids? Okay, why? Why, because they're white? Give your head a shake.
0: You know, I just want to interject that it was the 10th, 10 year anniversary of um, the, the murder of Muammar Gaddafi was last week. And um, a friend of mine on, on social media, a very smart guy, uh, had been working with a relief organization at that time, and he wrote a letter to Gaddafi when the U.S. bombed. They tried to kill him many years before, and they dropped a bomb on his tent and killed his son. Mm. Um, they knew family, women, and children were in that tent, but Gaddafi had just walked outside and was spared. <clears throat> And he answered the letter. Her, my friend wrote him a letter and said, I'm very sorry. Condolences it's a shocking horror, I'm ashamed of my country. And Gaddafi wrote him back and signed the letter and said, how can that country knowingly drop bombs on, on targets, houses, tents that contain women and children and family members? But you never, never hear about that in that way in media. You only hear of military. Heroism, um, hmm. so yeah, I I I think I I think I block out this war on children because I find it so painful and horrifying, um, and I since I have young kids now, uh, uh, it it's it's particularly frightening. I think I'm in denial or something. Can I read one more thing here quickly, and then I'll turn over to somebody else because it was a, it just remind what you were saying, Corey, reminded me of Kunstler's, um article this week, uh, James Howard Kunstler. Yeah, read. And it's just amusing in a way. <clears throat> he says, let us count the ways that America is committing suicide by Democratic Party policy. There is front and center Joe Biden's vaccine mandate with no basis in law, by the way that is destroying most of the critical service industries in the nation, hospitals, school systems, police forces, firefighters, ambulance squads, airlines, railroads, restaurants, you name it. No vax, no job for you, and no resuscitation for the unfortunate persons writhing on their kitchen floor in myocardial infraction. I'd say that depriving folks of their livelihoods while ensuring harm and death upon the citizenry is a bad combo for public order. One can easily imagine the righteous wrath building to a point where lampposts in capital cities are decorated with the dangling government officials who caused this to happen then there are the vaxes themselves and the covid cat that dragged them in do you feel all warm and fuzzy over a shot that will turn your body into a spike protein generator considering how spike proteins behave in a human vascular system got any questions or doubts about the number of adverse events so far looks like more than 10,000 deaths in the u.s directly attributable to the vaxes under the VAERS registry and millions of industry injuries around the world, not to mention the murky origins of the disease, the participation of the US that sells the vaxes. Have you noticed the draconian desperation to vax up absolutely everybody, despite some parties? and some excellent reasons for people to say no thanks. Does the big picture look a little nefarious to you? Like some parties are out to bump off a pretty large number of people, including parties who have stated out loud that steeply reducing the global population would be a swell idea." Um, End of the quote. Uh, I liked that because he kind of said out loud what a lot of us kind of tiptoe around sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the, these are eugenicists. These people have said population decrease, depopulate. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Here, take this vaccine. Um, is, you know, is this wildly conspiratorial and illogical? I don't think so. Um, and, and I certainly think, uh, you know, Kunstler's is a very smart guy. So I don't think he's just um, rambling on for no reason. We've touched on all of this stuff, but it was a nice paragraph. Um, Johan. Yeah, I just wanted to, just to add to, to Corey's. Yeah. Uh,
2: I lost you there, but, but I just wanted to add to, to Corey's statement that uh, a question that needs to be asked by, by parents is specifically what is the absolute risk reduction of administering this vaccine to children? Because relative risk reduction may look really, really good, but when when it's like one kid in a hundred thousand that gets hospitalized then the the absolute risk reduction might look pretty pretty poor, especially in comparison to the, the risk of side effects. And that question needs to needs to be asked and repeated over again. I
4: just can I just add something here. Yes please I've,
0: please. I've
4: repeatedly posted about this actually is that this is where I think the reasonability and unreasonability of modern industrial civilization actually comes in. Because as long as it's not my child, it's a great idea, but right? mm. I mean, it's always that justification.
0: Yeah. I want to know also uh, as a secondary question here, because I was just reading in Norwegian news, um, you know, 500 new cases of, of COVID in Oslo or something, Bergen. Um, uh, why are people getting tested? Why are so many people out being tested for COVID? Because presumably they're talking about positive test results. The hospitals don't have anybody with COVID in them, so um, so I I can only assume um, these are positive test results now called cases. Um, and and it I'm just curious if anybody knows why so many people want to keep being tested. It's just this very strange phenomenon now. It seems.
4: Yeah, I think it's. I mean, well, it's that's what I'm saying is that it's. People function illogically because when fear and neuroses are present, there's no logic and there's no rationale to behavior. And that aspect of living is entirely in control of the establishment, of the established order.
1: Mm.
4: So when they say that there is a threat, then people believe that there is a threat. And when they say that you need to get tested every day, they get tested every day. And then they say, okay, now you need to... 50 50th booster and they're going to go line up after the <laughs> clinic to get it man like it's just
0: yeah 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 um uh yeah it just baffles me i will say though norway is is uh is largely back to normal uh i don't see any masks and uh there are no restrictions at school anymore and so uh, I will see what happens as winter is rolling in. We're seeing the first snow flurries here. Um, Corey,
3: I wanted to add um, uh, meet like a little press release. I believe it was that Eva Morales um, did just within the past few weeks. And he um, stated, I continue having doubts about this coronavirus. I read three, four, five years ago, a report from the IMF that said, in the politics of a new world order, it's important to reduce unnecessary population. And who are the unnecessary people? The old, the disabled, poor people, the working class. It looks like, brothers and sisters, that this pandemic is part of a biological war. Let the poor die, the old die, the disabled die. And and the year before, he had actually said about it, um, you know, way back, I think, I believe, last August. And when asked who dies with the pandemic, the former um, Bolivian president answered, the humble people, the poor people, life cannot be a commodity. That is our profound difference with the capitalist system. You know, so I think that's amazing. And earlier um, in the week, or last week, I guess, I was um, watching... uh, Davos, um, what do they call them? Whatever, a lecture or whatever they have at at the Davos events each year, a panel, I guess. And they were discussing job loss within, it was called um, The Brave New World, and it was discussing job loss within 10 to 15 years. Again, this was 2015, they were talking about 67 to 77% of all the types of jobs disappearing completely. So you have, you know, and then and so to light like, foment revolution revolt because of this, you know, people will be starving actually, um, you know, losing their homes, everything else. You have to have the UBI. Well, why do they want to pay more, more UBI than they have to? That's a lot of UBI to pay, you know, after right, corporate profits. Um, so, you know, you know, you just have you just have to worry yeah. about that. You have the UBI, and then you have the coming pensions, right? I, yeah. I mean, you've got a lot happening here.
0: Well, that that article the other day, um, which was pretty good, it was stuff that we've talked about, but you know, he he made a a pretty cogent point um, observation early on, saying, you know, whenever they have these big projects, they the global NGOs, world governments, the UN, World Economic Forum, all of these different um connected institutions are able to find money when they need money they find money you know this is a new four billion dollar uh project that we are initiating to blah 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 all for you know the good of mankind and the health of of the earth and so forth and so on but you know a little later we can't pay your pensions we just don't have the money to pay your pensions. um of course they could pay their pensions. There is, of course they could, of course they could. They don't want to pay your pensions. That's all. Um, They are squeezing Mm. uh, people as far as they possibly can. And, and when you remember that, that, you know, this is the, the, uh, the legacy, the cultural antecedents and precedents rather of, 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 you know, of, of Western capital worth 300 years of slave trading. Remember that 300 years um, where they shipped human beings, 30 to 40% of whom died in transit, um, were treated worse than animals uh, and, and worked on plantations and made ec- incredible fortunes for those slave traders um colonialism you know the occupation of the world and the u.s is still a massive imperialist nation obviously i mean 900 military bases all over the world um surrounding iran surrounding china surrounding russia um why why is that why does the u.s need a five billion dollar a day military budget defense budget it's a war budget why do they need that Uh, what is the justification for that? Uh, the, the trillions spent on weapons development, uh, and, and they rope these countries like Norway. I mean, I ask Norwegians sometimes, are you guys who's invading here? Did I miss something? Are you guys worried? Like, like Norway's going to, they're going to charge down from Finnmark and overrun Tromsø, and, you know, what, who's going to do that? You know and and they kind of look at you blankly. Well I Russia might trust me. Russia has other things to worry about. They're not going you know the only you know like true imperialist power left in the world is the United States. That's who creates um instability uh that's who takes regions and creates uh controlled theaters of conflict to use and test these weapons. That's who assassinates world leaders they don't like. Uh, General Suleiman in Iran, whether it's Gaddafi, on and on and on and on. And it subcontracts some of this Saudi Arabia subcontracts other parts to Israel. These these are the rogue states in the world, not the socialist nations. They're, you know, they're not the same. Okay, uh, Johan.
2: Yeah, but maybe we should or come over or
0: somebody. And, yeah,
2: just to do, we should come over and, and take what's left of the Norwegian oil. But it because it seems that, that you're not really of sound enough mind to steward it right now. <laughs> I'm not sure. Can
4: I just? I'll just add something quickly here. I think this paranoia of um, largely controlling how consciousness or group consciousness works, mm. I think, can come only from. Of, of fear of spontaneity, of of the unknown. And that has its roots in uh, material deterministic thinking, mm.
2: which is Darwinian
4: in the sense of evolution. Mm. So they have taken control, of, they have taken upon, in, upon themselves to control the evolution of the human race. And this is a very disturbing aspect of how things are working right now, because when we see how behaviors have been inculcated and habits have been manufactured in consumer societies all around the world it looks like they've succeeded to quite an extent
2: Mm.
4: and so that the, the the presence of human relationship has been entirely replaced by a false stability of the establishment in consumer culture that's what has occurred
0: yeah um Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, is what, what terrifies all of us just is, is just how far have they succeeded? You know, I mean, we've reached the point of no return. I fear often, maybe always, Um, because the war on reason where we started in a sense, uh, people, People don't think creatively. I mean, that spontaneity is connected to imagination and dreaming. And um, all that's eroded. People live in, um, they're numbed with, with various antidepressants and psychotropic drugs. They, they are stupefied staring at their dreams um, and, and now increasingly terrified of each other because they're they're vectors for disease somehow and sex God forbid anybody have that anymore. what a high risk um, be, you know be, criminal behavior that is uh, Johan, any final thoughts from people I think we have not a lot in there.
2: Oh, I can summarize but but I, I just wanted to add I, I think you're entirely correct but to to remark that this is a phenomenon with old roots uh, I would say it goes back I mean to 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 the before the enlightenment and and the things go back for way deeper than that but but this erosion of the rational citizenry that we see now i think that's an inherent as, aspect of the of the spectacular mode of mass society that's been with us for quite a while and we're just now seeing kind of an accentuated version of it I mean it was always it was always here, it's just more prominent now because mass society veils reality as such and integrates us in this synthetic one that operates according to some form of unreal logic that can be shaped at will by the, the dominant interests. And, and that's precisely why we need culture that creates autonomy of thought and of, of cultural expression. That's why I don't believe in these, these metaverses on the blockchain, because we need a culture that gives you space to reflect upon your situation and its preconditions and gives you the ability to distance yourself from it so you're able to think about it, actually. Maybe it's yeah, a listen, yeah.
4: It's also in the sense that, I'll just add on to that, because it's also, then it everything depends on how I construct my relationship with others in society. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what the politics say, what the laws say, because my reliance is on whether I'm able to be with you Mm. as a group right like that's or have a relationship with other people rather than Mm. my primary relationship being with money and the establishment Mm. and consumer culture and politics you know so yeah it's it has to do with how can i how am i a contributive agent to the community or to society in that sense Mm. because once those kind of questions come in then I have to prove my worth, which means that then I'm no longer just a serf or a slave to what the corporatocracy wants me mm-hmm. to do. Then I have to be relevant to your life directly without mm-hmm. all the religion and politics. And none of that shit has to figure in that. It is a very practical argument about how can we build a living settlement together? For example, mm-hmm. what am I going to give to that? What do I know that I can contribute?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um- I'm. I'm just going to add very quickly. I, I, I feel like I'm talking too much tonight, um, but because I think that's true, I, I and I think there's a psychological um, a war, you know, against human psychology. If we want to call it a war on reason, there's a war on children. There, there, there But, but it it bears remembering that many, many, many groups in the U.S tried to go live off the grid and they were arrested. Um, it is illegal <clears throat> to actually not connect um, and and the vaccine mandates the, it, it have have made this much worse. Uh, if you're not getting the jab, you can't watch your kids play sports. your kid can't play sports if he's or she's not vaccinated. but so but that's just the new extreme form of an already existing, um, coercion to plug into the system you can't unplug you don't eat that's that's brings me back to marx again i mean we are born into a specific set of historical conditions and um and and yes we need to awake from our our slumber as it were as somebody said maybe it was shakespeare um uh but but we also need to to find a way to um resist this system without it costing our lives you know without our our Mm. children suffering without us getting thrown in jail um and that's that's a very direct political task you can't just say you know oh i'm i'm you know i'm against marx and blah 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 and so that's the question. um hiroyuki yeah um, I think
1: um, I, you know we've repeated quite a bit, but uh, I think it it really comes back to the fact that the uh, the the very basic form of the society, the uh, accumulated wealth and the hierarchy, the caste system, uh, those are the elements um, uh, that enables um, uh, what's going on. And uh, I mean, you know, if we we look at the fact that uh, slavery was a social institution, it was functioning to serve the people. And this is a tremendous thing Um, The society is colluding, was colluding to prop it up. All the social institutions went went along with it. Absolutely. you know, this is the, the accumulated wealth and power can do this. It can create social institution out of thin air. And they can also destroy social institutions. If the medical establishment is given too much trouble about the facts, they can just destroy it. Yep. And same thing about the uh, um, any institutions, even the military. I mean, you know, I, I wrote about um, um, uh, Japanese feudalism uh, last year, uh, kind of paralleling the, uh, uh, the way uh, things are going and uh, the thing they did uh, uh, at the very beginning in Japan was that they uh, took away the weapons. They destroyed yeah. the uh, abilities for the people to stand against the authority, and they um, installed this uh, mild caste system, and the samurai class was at the top, and the uh, farmers came second, and uh, the craftsmen came after that, and the merchants who basically overthrew the whole thing at the end were at the very bottom. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it the, the manipulation um, that can be done by the concentrated power, uh, the creating the illusion of facts and narratives is huge. Yeah. The uh, Marx can describe how it happens through um, money, how the money transforms the social relations according to the interests of ruling class. And the same thing is happening with uh, internet, uh, digital currency, um, um, all those things. We can apply the idea to understand what's going on today. It's about colonization of humanity and nature by hijacking the social relationships.
0: I think that's a great place to wrap this up. That was, that was beautiful. That was perfect. Yeah, that's, that's what they're doing. And they, that's what the ruling class is doing there is such a thing as the ruling class it's global they share the same interests and they largely cooperate with each other anyway okay unless there's final thoughts very final final thoughts um uh i will i will wrap this up and until next time and thanks to jack Littman, because you'll have a little bit of editing to do this time and uh thank you Yuki, Corey, johan and Varun, who i'm very glad got, got to make it and um i'll talk to everyone soon and uh, there will be there will be a, a, a syllabus posted with this podcast all right thank you everyone thank you thanks take care
3: thank you take care bye